All right, good morning. <clears throat> how, um, how many of you have ever been lost as a young child? Morris raised his hand quicker than I, faster than I completed that sentence. Like in a d- department store or worse, like in an amusement park, ever been lost? Ever lost your kid? Mm. I know as a parent, I would be frantic if I lost Jonathan. Um, I can only imagine if we lost Jonathan somewhere, but I think it's downright terrifying for a, for a child, right? You know, you put yourself in the, in the shoes of a lost child. It's like an unfamiliar place. Uh, maybe there's random strangers all about, right? Their, their source of comfort, their source of stability, all that is gone. Not a parent in sight. And I think we would all probably be scared if we were put in this situation, lost, hopeless, unsure of what will happen. Today, we're going to talk about arguably, you know, the most significant event in Jesus Christ's life, and that's his death. And for most of us, our death will arrive at the end of our lives. <laughs> for Jesus, it arrives in the middle of his life. Well, we'll, we'll unpack that. Uh, before we begin, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we invite you into our our presence right now. We love you. We know that you are there for us, Father, listening, wanting us to talk to you, wanting us to pray to you, Father. We ask that you send the Spirit down to us to be with us, to convict us, to comfort us. In your Son's most holy and precious name, amen. All right, so if, if you have your Bibles, we'll be uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 46, 27, 46. Uh, I won't put, put it up uh, quite yet. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been going through the book of Matthew pretty much sequentially, and we're nearing the end of the book. I think I might only have one more, one more sermon left. And so I want to recap the last message, which is based on the previous paragraphs up in your, in your Bibles. Um, you know, it's Jesus' final week, right? He's been captured and tried. He's been found guilty. And everyone is basically mocking Jesus, right? The, the, the Roman soldiers mock him by putting, you know, a, a fake robe, a fake crown, and a fake staff on him. He was hung on a cross, and even his criminal charge was kind of mocking him, right? He, sure, you're king of the Jews, right? And they put the king of the Jews above him. People who passed by were mocking him. All the religious leaders were mocking him. You know, even the criminals to his left and his right were mocking him at the same time. Right? These people are like experiencing the same death sentence, and they're also mocking him. And I don't mean to be funny, but you know, Jesus is not having a good day, and it's about to get worse uh, in a way I don't think many of us ever think about. So let's pick it up in Matthew 27, uh, verse 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So up until until now, Jesus and God were united. This whole God and I are one, right? Jesus would say that, you know, all this, you know, unity. And if you remember, um, during Jesus' baptism, God spoke, this is my son whom whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Right? And when Jesus fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil at the inauguration of his ministry, right? Jesus was quoting Bible verses back at the devil. Yeah, he was hungry during the time, but he didn't feel abandoned then. And during the transfiguration, where uh, Jesus took Peter, uh, James, and John up, up to the mountain, right? and Jesus' face uh, shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light, 
God said the same thing. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. All right, there's, there's this unity between father and son. And Jesus, being fully human, had all that comfort. God the Father had his back. But today, in that moment, all that's gone. Jesus, fully human, experienced this abandonment. You have to remember, Jesus had just been betrayed, arrested, tried, convicted, beaten. Now he's mocked, and now he's crucified, facing death on that cross. He clearly felt abandoned. And perhaps there was no longer that comfort like a child might have in the presence of a parent. Right? That's, that's ripped away. That's gone. And the first time in his recorded life, Jesus cries out in anguish. The picture that Jesus... The picture of Jesus like we had before, it's all this confidence, right? All the miracles, all the healings, all the witty comebacks, all the, he was a great debater to all the religious leaders. Remember all that? He's, he's, he's Jesus. But today, abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you abandoned me? And this is what it must feel like to be in the total absence of God. I would imagine that this is a small, small representation of what my own son, Jonathan, might feel if he couldn't find either Jane or me. If he became lost, he might feel like this. But he might not feel this sense of loss of abandonment if he was to lose sight of, say, one of you in the congregation this morning. And that's because he isn't as close to you, right, as he is close to his own parents, Jane and me. The closer we are to someone, the greater experience of loss we feel when they are away, right? This makes sense. The closer we are to somebody, the greater sense of experience of loss we feel when they are away. Now, when Jonathan grows up, we know that teenagers push for their independence, right? Right? That teenagers grow out of that dependency on their parents, especially as they, especially as they, um, as they learn to drive. And I think many of you probably have already experienced this, many of you parents, and I, I think Jane and I will experience this one day. And I wonder, as adults, do we do the same thing with God? When, when we become, when we first become Christian, we, we're like on fire, and we, we, we tend to be, you know, tend to be on fire for Jesus, but maybe along in our, in our journey of faith, we tend not to rely on God as much to get us through things anymore. As if to say, you know what, I got it, God. I got it from here. I don't, I don't need you anymore, thank you. Maybe we push for our own spiritual independence. So when I read these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can only imagine the depth of loss, the depth of pain, the depth of suffering that Jesus experienced when he was just cut off from the Father. And it's because he had such a close connection with God before that he feels such pain now. It's because he had such a close connection before with Father, the Father that he feels such pain now. The closer we are to somebody the greater experience of loss when we feel when they're away. So I kind of stopped to wonder. When I was researching this passage, I was like, I wonder, would I have the same feeling of abandonment if I cannot feel God anymore? Am I that close to God that should God leave? Would I feel such a total loss? Would I feel so abandoned? Or could I pick myself up and say, you know, that's okay, God. I got it from here. I, I can do things myself. I'm good. 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just think about that sentence for a little bit. Let that sentence stand by itself. Try to put yourself in Jesus' shoes, Jesus' sandals. Even Jesus, being fully human, relied on God. As if to say, even Jesus is saying this, I can't do this without you, Father. I can't do this without you. This is Jesus saying this. Do we feel this way? I can't do life without you, God. And you might wonder, if Jesus is fully God, and he is God, then how can he feel abandoned? Like, you know, split personality, what, you know? And you have to remember, Jesus was fully human as well. And um, I won't rehash this slide entirely, but in a previous message, I talked about the dual nature of Jesus. And I talked about how Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. And so I want to affirm that Jesus, at the same time, is fully divine and fully human. His two natures are not merged like some sort of like hybrid being. Does that make sense? Half human, half God. His two natures are not separable. You can't separate them out independently, right? And, and, his, and his two natures are not mixed, okay? Um, and, and then it becomes like a third thing, right? Like, like when you bake and you put all the ingredients in, right? And, and it's just one big mass of dough, right? That's, that's a thing, that's not Jesus either. Jesus had to be truly God so that he could satisfy God's wrath and secure for us this righteous life in the kingdom of heaven. So in order to bear the full weight of that wrath, Jesus has to be divine. No human could bear, no human could, could bear that, that wrath of God. No human could stand that. It would be too much. And we read about this in Nahum uh, 1.6. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Only, the answer is only a perfectly divine being could, could, could withstand God's wrath. No human could do this. So, God, so Jesus has to be fully divine. But then in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin, Jesus who was sinless, to be sin for us, to be that sin offering for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who was sinless, became our sin offering. That work of redemption that Jesus did by dying on the cross required a mediator who was both human and a perfect deity, both human and divine. So Jesus today is showing his human nature, and it's on display for all of us to see. Jesus had to be fully human so that he could identify with us, suffering in our place and sympathizing with us in our weakness. All right, let's go on. In verse 47, when some of us, I'm sorry, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This, folks, this is mission complete right here. Mission complete. It's done. This is probably the most important yet least known and even less quoted or memorized verse in the entire Bible. This is probably the most important verse in the entire Bible. Yeah, I, I just said that. Mission complete. You, know, you ever watch those military shows or movies where where, where the, the guys have to, have to accomplish all these little tasks until they get to, they get to their main target, right? They got to do this and then this and this, and they get to the main target, and then they got to escape, right? It's very organized. 
Jesus had done a lot of things, the healings and the miracles and the debates and all that, and those are things that are necessary for him to do. But this was the main mission. But why do I think this? Why, why is this the most important verse in the Bible? It's, it, and it's not even my favorite one. I, I put out eight of the most famous, famous Bible verses. For God so loved the world... Nobody. That he gave his only one, one and only son, right? For all have sinned. You guys are killing me. Fall short of the glory of God, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I lack nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Okay. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In the beginning, please tell me you know in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, go. I'm I'm giving you two words here. Make disciples of all nations. Okay. In general, these verses are famous and well-known because they give hope. These verses give inspiration. They, they pick us up and point to comfort. Not all of them, but, but in general. They, they pick us up and they point to comfort. There's a, re- there's a reason they are well known. And you probably at least recognize some of them or maybe even memorize them at some point in your lives. And if you haven't, you may want to consider that. And for all the popularity attributed to these verses, I argue that verse 50 is the single most important verse in the Bible from a historical point of view. I'll say that again. I think Matthew 27, 50 may be the single most important verse in the Bible, along with these other three. In Mark 15, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. In Luke 23, when Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. John 10, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Sounds like mission complete. Jesus' death saved mankind. And in his death, Jesus bears for us sinners the righteous wrath of God against sin. Jesus died in our place. He didn't call for Eliza to deliver him, as some of the onlookers onlookers mistakenly thought. His heart was set to accomplish the Father's will. And so I think this is the most important, these are the most important verses. And in obedience to that will, Jesus for the time had to undergo God's rejection. Jesus here, he's agonizing in both body and soul. His body, right? The, the nails, you know, the, the crown of thorns, right? His, his feet and his hands. He's nailed to that cross. He's hanging. His soul, right? He's, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ did a lot of stuff here on earth. He taught, he healed, he cured diseases, he performed many miracles. All part of this extended mission here while he was, on, while he was here on earth. But, you know, but he really only had one mission. To die for us. And today that mission is complete with verse 50. And these other three verses. Alright, so let's go on. In verse 51, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook 
the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I'll let this sink in because I'll bet, there, I'll bet there's some of you in the congregation today that did not know about these verses. Am I right? The tomb, let me read the, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus's resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. It's like this mass resurrection and people just kind of... I don't have much to say about these verses, and the book of Matthew doesn't, doesn't really add much more to this. But I suppose many of us have read about verse 51, where the temple curtain was torn into two. And this signifies now that we don't need a high priest to intercede with God on our behalf anymore. That, that we have like direct access to God, especially as it relates to our sins. In Hebrews 9-7, But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people he had committed in ignorance. See, before, people brought their sacrifices to the priests, and the priests interceded with God on the people's behalf. Back then, people didn't, talk to people, people didn't talk to God directly regarding their sins. But now Jesus removes the need for sacrifices in the priesthood. Right? We have direct access to God now. In Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, because Jesus died, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body when, when Jesus died. And I think this is something we take for granted, that we can now directly speak to God and ask for our sins and ask for forgiveness. And I, um, I'll talk more about that later. In verse 54, when the, centurion, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. And I think this is really amazing because he's actually a Gentile, not a Jew. In fact, he's, he's probably one of the executioners um, that is the first person after Jesus' death to recognize, to some extent, like his identity. Surely he was the Son of God. This is an absolutely amazing confession of who Jesus is, the Son of God, like by a Gentile. And so I want to challenge you all this morning. Can you honestly say this? To you, can you honestly say with conviction Surely, Jesus is the Son of God. Right now, where you sit, can you say this? Surely, Jesus is the Son of God. Where are you in your faith journey? And I know I kind of methodically went through this entire passage, but I think there are three key points in which we can all be challenged with. Um, In the first, okay. In the first, Jesus is present He was a real human being with real human emotions and real human suffering. Most of us would cry out if we lost a loved one or miss miss a loved one if we were separated. If you are a believer, if if you already identify as a Christian, I urge all of us to take our faith seriously. Spiritual disciplines like reading our Bibles or being in midweek fellowship with others, not just Sunday, constant prayer. I urge all of us, and myself included, to get to know God well enough that we would cry out in God's absence if, if we felt his absence. In Deuteronomy, I don't have it up here, or I won't be flashing it up here, but Deuteronomy 31.6, and if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. Deuteronomy 31.6, 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And there are other verses. Jesus sends the counselor, the Holy Spirit to us. The Trinity is present with us. Now for today, this is an isolated incident where Jesus is dying for our sins. So two, Jesus is listening. We have direct access to God now. But I think we often take it for granted. When the temple, uh, when the temple curtain was torn into two. See, back then to atone for sins, uh, there was this book that told you what animal you had to sacrifice based on what sin that you had. And, and, and the bigger the sin, the bigger or more, the more valuable the animal, right? You lie and maybe it was a couple pigeons, right? You hurt somebody pretty badly, maybe it was a couple, couple cows, okay? You needed a priest to intercede for you, all right? We couldn't make that sin offering, that sin sacrifice directly, okay? And that, and that, that priest did it in the holiest of holy places. Can you imagine, like, every time you sinned, you had to come to this church, and either Pastor Mike or I, we have to conduct a ceremony on your behalf. We'd have to sacrifice, like, cows or chickens or, or animals on stage here. How many of you guys think that would be inconvenient? Oh, nobody, huh? How many would have to come every week? I'm just kidding. I, I would need to come every day. Right? But we have direct access to God now. Maybe you feel weird praying because you feel like you're just talking to thin air or, or whatever. Maybe it feels awkward. I get that. Keep on going. Continue. I'll pray with my eyes open when I'm driving or when I'm in line somewhere or at my bedside. I encourage you all to get in the habit of talking with God. It doesn't have to be all this official sounding and beautiful sounding, Right? Just talk to God. Have a conversation with Him. Sometimes when I'm worried about things, I bring it to God. I tell a man, God, I don't, I don't get why things really, I don't get why things are the way they are in this situation. I end up thanking God a lot. After a long youth event, and after I've dropped off my last youth kid, um, when I park at home, I lift up a brief thank you to God. Thanking Him that everyone was delivered safely back home. Jane and I had a potential COVID exposure a couple weeks ago uh, from our daycare. When our test came back negative, I said directly to Jane, praise God. I pray, I pray for members of this congregation behind, behind your back. I don't always tell you when I'm praying for you. So yes, bring him your requests. Bring him your concerns. Tell him of your praises, but don't forget to talk to God about your sins. Be honest with Him. He already knows you committed them. You're not hiding anything from Him. Lay your sins before Jesus and ask for forgiveness. He's listening. And finally for all of us, Jesus is King, and I hope we can say, all say, surely Jesus is the Son of God, just like that centurion did so long ago. Can we say, can we believe this with conviction that our hearts, um, I'm sorry, and that our actions and words reflect a genuine belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That surely Jesus is the Son of God? And I want to expand a bit more on this final point. Number three, that's the good news. That's the gospel, that Jesus is king, that he's the new king. 
and that he is with us. And in Matthew 1, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The good news is that Jesus is here, and he's king. And I usually end with this verse, but not today. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I show this image with this verse a lot. I mean, a lot, right? If this is your first time here, you're, you're lucky, right? But the good news starts with some bad news. See, today we read about Jesus' final moments before his death, his death for all of us. But the picture I've been showing all these years only focuses on Jesus. What I haven't shown are the two thieves who were crucified along with him, one to his right, one to his left, right? And that is symbolically our fate too, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, God's standard is sinlessness, all right? He's that holy, and his standard is that high, and none of us can meet that standard. None of us can meet that standard of being perfectly sinless. We are all human. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because, and because God is so holy, because he is so set apart, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so the just punishment for our sins is eternal separation from God. We call that place hell, and that is a place with total absence of God, just like a little tiny bit of what Jesus might have, might have experienced today in today's passage, that total absence, but that's forever, and we call that place hell. So in 2 Corinthians, do you remember this verse from earlier, uh, 5, 21? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become justified before God. Jesus took our place on that cross so that in him we might have eternal life. So instead of sacrificing little animals every time we sin, Jesus was the one final ultimate sacrifice for all humans for all time. He took care of it. We can't earn our place in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in another gospel account of this event, uh, one of the two thieves up there asked Jesus if, he, if Jesus would remember him in heaven. And, and Jesus replied uh, in that gospel, uh, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in, para- in paradise. There's, there's nothing that thief could have done at that moment to earn, to earn anything. Accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord is only by God's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's just God gives us that grace. It is through faith and faith alone that we are saved. We can't earn heaven. No one is good enough to earn entrance into heaven. None of us can. It's through faith and faith alone. And that's what it is. This is a free gift. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to earn it. There's no amount of money, no amount of good deeds. So the good news comes on the heels of the bad news that we are doomed to hell. The good news is that Jesus is king, and he welcomes us into his kingdom of heaven, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, today your mission was complete. You came down as God-man. You were human. You walked among us, Father. You healed us. You taught us. You performed miracles. But today, in today's passage today, you gave up your life. You gave up your life so that we may become righteous with God. We may be justified. Father, there are probably people in here this morning who, who need you more than they know, they understand. They don't know you yet as their Lord and Savior. I pray right now that they would accept you. That they would acknowledge that they are a sinner before you. That they would repent. And they would invite your Son into their hearts, as all of us should, to acknowledge that we are sinners, to acknowledge that just punishment is hell. And the only way to enter the kingdom is through your Son. We know it is by your grace, Father. Thank you so much for loving us enough to send your Son to die for us on that cross. In your Son's most holy and precious name, Amen.